0: Indeed, O oh God, what we bring is sinful shame, and yet a shame that does not have to control us, dominate us, or, or frighten us. It is a shame that has been washed away by finding our identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only has He dealt with our shame, He has dealt with our guilt, our guilt of of our positive violations of standard of righteous standards that we knew to be in place. And because of our choices, because of our willful rebellions and disobediences, we became guilty and it is in the finished work of Christ where our guilt has been removed and our shame has been replaced by our identity to be found Only in the person of Jesus Christ, to belong to Him, to be married to Him, to have, to having been identified with His death and His burial and His resurrection by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, we are a new transformed people by great works of sovereign grace. And so we bless you and pray that you will find reason for pleasure as you watch your people at worship this morning. Father, as we head towards the table in a few minutes, begin to ready us to meet with you on an individual, personal basis as we remember the cornerstone of our faith and the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, take these monies now and use them. Use them to... Advance the gospel around the world. It is a scary world, and I pray that you will use churches like this and hundreds of others to establish the claims of Jesus Christ on mankind all over the world. We commit ourselves to that and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Usually the first, one of the first things that I say is to grab your Bibles. Um, you can. If you like, grab your Bibles, but we're not going to start there. We're going to finish there, or we're not going to start there. But you might want to keep them at least close by. The um, the Protestant branch of the Christian Church. Now, if you don't know what that is, let me just say you're a part of it. Protestantism is all those churches: Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Assembly of God and. Uh, the Protestant branch of the Christian church, which really came into being through the leadership of Martin Luther, uh, God used him to, to make that divide, it really occurred back in the 16th century, 1521 or so. But since the, the very beginning of the, of the Protestant church, we have been locked in a struggle With the Roman Catholic Church, which is the other arm, the other branch of Christendom. And often that, that struggle between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism has become very bloody. You know, it's hard to know who shed the most blood of who else. Did Roman Catholics share more blood, shed more blood, or did the Protestants share more blood? It's, it's really kind of hard to know because both parties were guilty of bloodletting. And, and some of the stories that you read are really, really quite amazing. Does the name Lady Jane Grey ring a bell with you in your in your English literature courses? You remember that Lady Jane Grey? Well, Lady Jane Grey was the niece of the King Henry VIII, and um, she was intended; she was supposed to marry uh, Henry VIII's son Edward the <laughs> Sixth. But Edward had tuberculosis, and so Lady Jane's father arranged that, um, she marry someone else, that she marry Guilford Dudley, who was the son of the, the most powerful man in the British Empire at, the, at that point. So when Edward succeeded her father, his father, he didn't last very long. He died of tuberculosis. And on his deathbed, he um, appointed Lady Jane Grey as his successor over his own sister. His sister Mary, and I think he had another one by the name of Elizabeth. But he appointed his cousin to the throne as opposed to his own sister. Well, her monarchy, her reign, lasted for all of nine days. And she was deposed and... um replaced by the infamous Bloody Mary. You remember her? Well, uh, she, that is Lady Jane Grey, and her husband, um, Guilford, were both arrested and uh, accused of treason and were um, were sentenced to death. And on the day that the two of them were executed, Lady Jane Grey, um, by the way, Lady Jane Grey represented Protestantism and Bloody Mary was determined to reestablish Roman Catholicism in the the English Empire. On the day that um, they were both executed, she looked out the window as her husband, Guilford Dudley, was uh, being carted off. And she cried out the window to her now-dead husband, "Oh, Guilford, Guilford, that is nothing compared to the feast you and I shall shall this day partake of in paradise. So they took her to the uh, the guillotine and um put her little head in the in the thing and before she was beheaded, um, she spoke a word of testimony to the people standing around and read a psalm and put her head in that little thing and she was beheaded at the age of sixteen <laughs> that's just one of the stories guys there's there's hundreds of stories about the great opposition that has occurred over the decade, over the centuries between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. Now, one of the biggest points of debate and difference is this, the sacrament. Now, I'm not here this morning to go into the ins and the outs of the differences of who believes what and why and yada, yada, yada. I'm simply here to tell you that the differences are huge in how we observe this and how Roman Catholicism observes it. But here's what I say all of that to say. I want to suggest that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there are things that we Protestants could learn from Roman Catholicism. We got a lot to learn from Roman Catholics when it comes to this sacrament, I, I, I think. During the Eucharist, which it is called in Roman Catholicism, while the Eucharist is being observed, there's a lot of kneeling. There's a lot of praying, there's a lot of saying of Ava Maria's, there's a lot of genuflexing. And, um, in, in short, there is a lot, of, a lot of participation on the part of the people who were seated in the pews. The focus in Roman Catholicism is not on the sermon with some kind of added little thing at the end called Lord's Supper. That's not the way they do it there. The um, the focus is on the reality to which those elements point. Guys, do you know what you're doing when you put this in your hand? This is a symbol, and it points to a reality. The reality being the shed blood of Christ Jesus. But this, the focus in Roman Catholicism is on this. The focus is not on what some preacher says. The focus is on what the worshiper says. To God. Guys, I'm not trying to uh, advocate genuflexing and kneeling. You'd never get away with that in the Protestant world. I mean, I'd be tarred and feathered before the end of the day. But I am saying that this sacrament, in this sacrament, folks, we are being asked or. Or you are being asked to face God yourself without any distractions from me. You are on center stage. This sacrament puts you at the center of the action. Not me. This, this sacrament is about Not what I pray, but what you pray. The the focus is on your performance, not mine. What's being examined in this service is your soul, not my sermon. This is all about you. It's not about the professionals. You know, I had a, a woman say to me recently that um, she she came from a Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic background and, and she said she went to her first Protestant worship service and she walked out and she, somebody asked her what she thought of it and she said, well, it was a very good concert and a fine lecture. And that's what we've done to you in Protestantism. We've turned this into the A reasonable concert and a reasonable lecture. Well, once a month, I'm going to tell you when we come to this table that it's not about the concert and it's not about the lecture. It's about you. In some ways, I think, guys, Protestantism has robbed us of a sense of my personal involvement in the worship hour because you pay me to do it. Um, Please don't misunderstand me. I love the centrality of of the word in Protestant worship, and I wouldn't do anything to change that. Anything. But at least once a month, what I want to try and do is to restore a sense of balance uh, 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 by, by telling you, I, I want to try and balance things by telling you, you're on. You're up. Now, now get out there and meet your God. If, if I could just use a quick baseball analogy... Um, If, in normal circumstances, I'm in the batter's box, and I'm facing the curveballs, and you're in the stands watching me, then today, you're in the batter's box. And I'm down the third baseline in the coach's box, and I'm yelling shouts of encouragement. (laughs) So once a month, guys, I want to remind you that this is about you. These next few minutes is all about you and how you respond and relate to the God that you call your Father in heaven. I want to deposit one verse of Scripture in your minds without commentary because I want to give you something on which to ruminate, to to chew as you're receiving the elements. The text is Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. batter up. Our Father, I pray now that your people will uh, find a great sense of awe and mystery and wonder about holding in their hands common elements that have been set aside for a sacred use. That they might find in, in, the, in this act In this sacrament, that they might find something down in their souls that they didn't know was there. That they might discover that there is something very, very consecrated, very sacred that they've given over to you. And now, Father, by faith, we lay hold of these elements and we beg of you. Meet us here. Meet us here for Jesus' sake. In His name I pray.